Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. Today I'm joined by music legend and maverick Alan McGee, described in his book Creation Stories as the charismatic, outspoken founder of Creation Records, a man who survived a tough upbringing in 70s Glasgow to become one of the most influential figures in British music. Perhaps most famous for taking a chance on Oasis when he discovered them at King Tut's in Glasgow in the early 90s. Today Alan lets us in on his unique approach, which he describes as big balls, fuck you, creativity, explains why his early challenges helped prepare him for the arts, and provides many, many valuable stories. As ever, the music for the show is provided by the wonderful Dirty Freud. You can check out his news and latest releases on social media at Dirty Freud. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I hope you're well. It's still pretty wild west out there at the minute. Um, I don't know where I'd be without this creativity. I hope you guys are clinging on, using the good stuff to stay sane. It's pretty, pretty savage. So I hope you're staying well. Um, thank you so much for the feedback on the most recent episode with the wonderful Jesse Maguire, Managing Director of Thought Matter. Brilliant New York design agency talking graphic activism, design responsibility and the wonderful relevant work that those guys are creating at the moment. One of the most relevant agencies out there, I do believe, in my opinion, at this moment in time. Also, the Ben Ryan episode, former England Rugby Sevens coach and the man who won Olympic gold with Fiji Rugby Sevens in the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. Uh, Still getting a lot of ears on that one, no surprise. It's a big episode full of many, not just creative inspirational stories, but just life lessons. It's it's a must listen, so if you missed that one, do go back and check it out. You can catch anything from the 170-plus monstrous archive of the show over on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And every episode, founding sponsor of the show, Illustration X, bring us a valuable industry insight. Uh, These guys spend their days working on the front line uh, in illustration and animation at the heart of the arts, and they're perfectly placed to see the new trends, fertile markets, and common mistakes. So they're passing on these golden bits of advice for the show, and I hope they are providing use, proving useful. Um, they certainly are for me. The feedback's been good so far, and today we're going to be talking NFTs. It's a big one. I'm not going to go too far down that particular rabbit hole, but it's a very, very hot topic. Uh, at this moment in time. So rather than sit here and badly paraphrase what it is, here's from an article on NBC News by Melanie Ehrenkranz. So I'm going to read this out to you. Hopefully it will clarify it or further confuse you. I don't know. So 
Blockchain technology's many features have made it a hit in the art world, most notably the ability to stop forgeries and give artists a cut of future sales. But one of blockchain's less heralded features has caused something of a rift in the art world, its carbon footprints. Crypto art, which has been viewed as a space for artists seeking stronger resale rights and protections from copyright infringement, as well as a more inclusive scene than traditional art world institutions, is at the centre of a fiery debate over its impact on the environment, and many in the community are heeding the call to abolish existing processes for greener alternatives. Um, a comment here. Every single artist I've spoken to doesn't want to destroy the environment, said Stuart Campbell, an Australian artist who goes by a suit that's a great place to come out to the conversation at. Suchu is a moderator of a group on chat app Discord called Clean, F F F Clean F NFTs, a channel that kicked off in the last few weeks to talk about the ecological impact of crypto art, which now has more than 1,000 members. Suchu said his inv investigation of crypto art's environmental impact began when a fan of his artwork replied to one of his tweets by vowing to no longer follow anyone in the community because of the environmental toll of NFT art. In simple terms, crypto art is digital art but on the blockchain. That crucial difference creates an incorruptible platform to sell and collect digital art. That's because each work of art is minted with a unique non-fungible token known as an NFT, a sort of digital certificate of authenticity or proof of work. So I guess a signature of sorts. Um, continuing the article, the crypto art world has boomed in recent months with a piece of art and its NFT recently selling at Christie's auction for $69 million. <laughs> the artist Grimes sold $6 million of NFT-backed art. But the physical processes many platforms used to encode the artwork onto the blockchain use electricity, and plenty of it. Artist and computer scientist Mimo Acton wrote a blog post on Medium in December detailing how ludicrously energy-consuming and ecologically destructive some blockchain-based activities are. The post took off online, not just in the art community, but also among environmentalists and technologists, pushing artists and consumers to reevaluate how they approach the crypto art space. Acton followed up his posts and his carbon emissions calculator, which was recently taken offline because of abuse and harassment with a guide to eco-friendly crypto arts. Acton said he thinks the community is split. Some artists and fans are disengaging entirely until sustainable solutions are created. Uh, I should say for the record, I am one of those. And then there are those who deny the energy-consuming reality altogether. There is a very strong misinformation-based propaganda in the crypto world in general to deny the ecological impact of proof-of-work-based blockchains, Acton said. It is reminiscent of the oil and tobacco industries. Acton said that there are also many whataboutisms comparing figures to the carbon footprint of the banking industry, fast fashion, McDonald's, etc. And there's also a push to find more energy efficient systems that preserve the upsides of crypto art. So some food for thought there. Um, essentially, a whole new market is blossoming. That's the reality of this. And a lot of artists are saying, well, why should I not capitalise on this to make some money from my art without having to go down the commercial route? So there is a valid argument there, and I guess there are a lot of grey areas. Um, some headline-worthy big numbers are changing hands for sole ownership of a piece of digital art. That's essentially what this is. And like it said in the article, it kind of removes the need for, you know, 
prestigious galleries taking hefty cuts or cornering whole sectors of the art world to 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 sell art. Uh, a digital home called Mars House sold just this week for half a million dollars. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's nuts, and it's also to me, it's reminiscent of the young British artists movement in the mid nineteen nineties. Crazy new stuff with a lot of trend and a lot of fast attention. Whether this hangs around is another conversation, but Illustration X's tip is to keep an eye on this. They've very much issued a watching brief at this stage because we're all a little uncertain. We, we don't know whether this is going to you know, continue to blossom and to be something that we can all go and make a good living from by creating very pure art. Or how does this conversation fit into the, you know, into the intellectual property conversation with our clients. It's just food for thought at this stage and it's something to to bear in mind, but maybe it's worth familiarizing yourself with the whole MV and NFT and blockchain technology conversation because it's fascinating stuff. So let's continue that conversation over at Ben Talent Pod or at Ben Talent on the social media. I've already been involved in a couple of big conversations that at times bordered on debate. Um, many of us saying we're out because of the environmental impact until we know that this stuff is safe because it's pretty terrifying. Um, but at the same time, it's going on. And if there are clean solutions, then maybe there is this whole new fertile market out there. So it's just food for thought on this episode. But Illustration X are, of course, keeping an eye on the ground as to how we might create NFTs from our originals, from our artwork. Um, Harry Lyon-Smith, the managing director, had a conversation with me about this and he compared the ownership of an NFT for an artwork. It compared it to a negative for a photograph or for an original piece of art back in the day before the internet and before email and before you know we had we were able to create digital art at the rate that we do now. He compared it to the creation of the original artwork from which we would scan or photograph and send that work to the client, but we would always keep the original, just like we you know we keep the original PSD file now, for example. So it's a it's a deep one. It's a rabbit hole for sure, a rabbit warren, however you want to term that. But go and do your research. That's the tip this episode by Illustration X. Um, go and check those guys out over at illustrationx.com for all your illustration and animation needs. The show is also supported by the Association of Illustrators, who you can find over at theaoi.com. So Alan McGee, today's guest. Music legend, real pioneer in the game. Uh, a creative mind well worth diving into, which is going to allow us to do today. So Alan took a lot of big risks in the 90s and trusted his instincts and his music taste and did remarkably well. He came very close to the brink and with famous breakdowns, um, selling you know record amounts of albums with the likes of Oasis, uh, My Bloody Valentine, Primal Scream, and it's just a wonderful story. So go and read the book, Creation Stories. The film is out now on Sky Cinema, Creation Stories, um, directed by Nick Moran, written for screen by Irvin Welsh. Uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into what Alan describes as his approach being big balls, fuck you, creativity. There's some awesome, hilarious, poignant stories in this show. We're going to get into all that, why his own tough start set him up for success in the music industry, his unique marketing methods. It's a big one. Get us your feedback over. Looking forward to it. Let's get into the chat. The creative condition conversation. Well, I, I just, I've just finished reading your book, actually. Which is Thank you. Great story. And, um, I'm just I'm fascinated by the, the roots and the one thing at the minute I um, that I get 
hung up on is the whole thing of kids and gang culture and, and what's going on at the minute. And, and I find your background fascinating in that kind of. You describe music as a salvation. And as yeah, a, yeah. To give I was, I was basically fucking going nowhere fast. I would have been a labourer, at best a taxi driver, if I learned to drive, which I've never had bothered doing. Um, but I was like, I was factory fodder. I mean, in a way, it was a product of the complete situation that I came out of, but which ended up working for me because I ended up managing to do music. But I mean, if I hadn't been able to do music, I was 100% factory fodder. Mm. I'd have been, I'd have been like, I would have probably now be unemployed, miserable, living in Glasgow, claiming the brew, mm. uh, living in a living in a, a multi-story. That's where I was heading, really, to be honest. And then, because I had music, I, I managed to hack it, go to London, get a few breaks in London, do music, and. And by the time I was 23, I'd realised, oh, fuck, I can do this shit. Do you know what I mean? I can mm. do it. And then I kind of got confident doing it. Because like, I, because I came as a musician, but I actually ended up realising I was a manager. Yeah. You know, halfway down the track. was oh, Well, not even, really early, to be honest. I learned. Because I had a, I got presented with a big band early, uh, and I was managing them at 23, I learned how to do it. Do you know what I mean? You know? These are the fanzine stuff that you... Yeah, I Seems to be cool thing you talked about. Yeah, no, no, I was a fanzine kid that yeah. I, I, I was a fanzine kid that started a record label. And uh, and then and then I I didn't know that I had really commercial taste. That's why I ended up having all these big bands. Mm. And I found the Mary Chain and and uh, and I started working with them in a real way, you know, like being the manager. And uh, and that just blew up for me. I got mm. lucky really. I got lucky that I ran into them. To yeah. be honest, you know, I mean, they got lucky that somebody fucking believed in them. They had been about for five years, never done a show. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it was an overnight success. They were in the room writing the songs. That's why it was so good. But nobody believed in them. There so seems, nobody to, be gave a, my there seems to be a slow burn about a lot. You know, Prime yeah. Scream and a lot of the bands that oh, yeah, we yeah. work with for creation. Yeah, yeah. And I think it takes us. I think, I think it, they've all got one thing in common that nobody in the beginning fucking saw it, bar me. And I went, oh, and I don't mean I'm a genius. I don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm actually just a guy that works hard. Mm. But I saw something in them that nobody else saw, and I, and, I, and I nourished it, and then eventually it blew up, do you know what I mean? And you had the patience to, to, to not go, well, this isn't selling overnight, we'll move on. It's, yeah. it, it's actually appreciating them characters. Well, Crime Scream was the longest burn I've ever had. That was six and a half years before we had a hit. Yeah, do you know just I mean? some patience. Yeah, that was 1980. Well, that was, it was beyond music. It was because I'd grown up with these guys, mm. and that's why. So whether they had a hit or not, I was never going to drop them. Yeah. So I just kept working with them, you know what I mean? Yeah. You... You, something that fascinates me about that whole ethos of creation and what you did do yeah and it, it's something that Sean brought about Tony Wilson when I saw it to him yeah, yeah and it was that it wasn't I mean the music of course was at the core of it but it's a love of these characters of these inf- these chaotic people yeah is that something that's reflected in you from your own self I mean you talk the, I was as chaotic as the band so yeah to be honest you know I mean I just was maybe a bit more a, word, a bit more driven about the business part of it because I've always been openly into being successful do you know what I mean I like it do you know what I mean you know? and I didn't think it was an ugly thing to be successful do you know what I mean and bands because they're artists and I'm not an artist I'm a business guy and but bands are all they, they think it's ugly to have success do you know what I mean mm. and all our bands did up to Oasis all our bands thought it was a bit ugly to be successful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's always that dichotomy, isn't there? It's yeah. almost too many people see it as a, yeah. some kind of. I don't. I don't. 
yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't get it. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. There's nothing. If you worked hard to get somewhere and you get there, what's yeah. wrong with that? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Sean Ryder, you know, who I'm, who you know, I manage Mondays, right? Is you know, he's exactly like that's maybe why we really do get on that, that great. The, the real joy is, I think, me and him is that we both like it. We both are like, we both like, we both like working hard, but we both like success and we both like money. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Do you know what I mean? As long as the, the music's great and the art's great. Why can't you get also make some money out of it? I don't think need it. it. Was that? <laughs> you, you need it. Don't you, you do fucking need it. One hundred percent. You can't run away from that fact. Yeah. I mean, but you get old, and it's like I, he, he's got fucking six kids. I've got two kids. I've got, you know, I've got a lot of other people that you know I, I, that I've got to fucking look after as well. So mm. you know, yeah, you do have to make money. Do you know what I mean? You do. Do you think? I always think. I look back and you know, seventies Glasgow when you were growing up. Yeah. I've got that right. Um, is do you think what else what, what, what was going on there? so obviously the music is what grabbed you was, was there much else I mean sport at that time I'm, just, I'm interested cause what, because well I mean I grew up in a really weird time really you know I mean it, it was like we, me and my son we were walking up here and we were talking about how attitudes have changed towards fucking class women um the gay thing I mean it's all completely changed but back in Glasgow when I, I was born in 1960 my dad was a um, was a man's man if there's such a fucking thing anymore do you know what I mean you know yeah. but it's like but in the old school way he was a man's man that's what I'm trying to say yeah, that's what my father was and you know you know he would applauded you if you kick somebody's head in, rather than if you'd actually done well at school and anything like that. So it was like, it was a kind of like, it was a, it was a, what's the word for it? It was a, it was a stereotypical West of Scotland guy for the sixties, which maybe he had to be because he was a panel beater. He was just a working class guy. And he did pretty well for, for the skills that my dad had, which was just being a panel beater. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And he managed to do, you know, you know, he, he, as a family guy, he got us for a he got us out of Govan Hill, which was rough, and he moved us up to McFodder, which wasn't really that rough. It was all right, um, but I suppose my old man let himself down when there's nothing cool, even in the sixties and the seventies, when he was battering fuckers. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing. I mean, it was a bit more extreme than what Noel got. You know what I mean? Or even I think what Sean got. To be honest, you know, I think Sean got a bit of that as well. But I got properly battered a few times and couple of times put in hospital there's nothing cool about that it wasn't cool in the 70s and it's fucking definitely not cool in 2019 do you know what I mean you know mm. and that it's not cool I mean he ran me at the house when I was at 16 do you know what I mean yeah. uh, I never went back do you know what I mean and you know and now that he's that, that come home to roost in recent times do you know what I mean because my dad's now getting old worried that he's dying wants to make contact with me and I will not be having it I just don't because I, I've done with that shit in my life do you know what I mean yeah. so that is the heavy stuff that happens in your way when you get old do you know what I mean you know and I'm always saying to Dan my son this is what happens when you get old do you know what I mean shit happens you know because yeah. you know you, 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 you carry that shit for a long time then you get to into your 50s yourself you've got a young son you got a, a little daughter, and you're a bit like, well, I'm not fucking taking it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you don't, you are unforgiven to the people that fucking yeah. sh- shit on you when you were a kid. You know? Yeah. Did that set you up well for the music industry? In it a way, did. Because I, I came to London and I was hard. Do you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I came to London and to be honest, it was soft. 
you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I cut through that. Well, everything else has got the volume turned down when you've had yeah, to yeah. deal with something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so, so I suppose with my success, I got I had the biggest band in the world by the time I was thirty-four. Mm. I was the biggest thing in the music business when I was thirty-four. So I got really successful really fast. I must have come out of Glasgow turbocharged. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, yeah, success. Yeah. And I hit, in a way, you could argue I hit success. I mean, I think I actually do think it. Not yeah. even an argument. I hit it too early. Do you know what I mean? If I was yeah. being honest, do you know what I mean? But but you, you can't fucking legislate for fucking anything like that. It just fucking I mean, it changed my life. I made millions. Yeah. I'm now I'm all right. Do you know what I mean? Because I because yeah. I had such big success when I was a kid. But uh, but yeah, I mean that upbringing in Glasgow probably made me go. You know, I mean, I was just fucking. I was I was yeah. mad. Do you think limitations were healthy? But I I think. And again, I'm not one to go, oh, the internet today, because it's got many, many upsides and it's made me, my yeah. career possible as, as an illustrator working worldwide. But I wonder if there's too much immediately there without having to work for anything. And your story seems, there seems to be a thread there that I've, I've had with a lot of people. Don Letts was another one. He talked about when his mates were picking up guitars, his white mates, him as a black man picked up a, a camera and, and became a filmmaker. Yeah. And it was that punk ethos of, you, I can do something here. I can actually pick up a thread and run with what I'm Definitely. And I think the punk ethos is lost at the moment. I think my son's got the punk ethos. My daughter's too young to really have it. Because I said to her, my daughter, and, 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 and she went, oh, blah, 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 something about music. And I went, we should write a song. And she went, I can't write songs. And I went, anybody can write a fucking song. And the thing is, and I know with Daniel, because he was in a punk band, Flats, it, what it is is you realise that you can fucking do anything. It might not be very good, but you can fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's all. I, uh, creation was. I started doing it. It wasn't very good, but we 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 then we got lucky. We signed a Mary Chain. We put it upside down, and suddenly we'd put a world class record a year and a half into it. And I was like, "That's the fucking benchmark." Mm. And then you move the whole thing up a gear to that, and eventually, by I'd say about nineteen ninety one. We were a world-class label, but it took me about seven or eight years to get it, you know what I mean? But, but even at that point, everyone has ben, to start somewhere. Ben, I was young, man. I was only 30 in 1991, yeah. do you know what I mean? But, but I've started signing little bands up again to put them out in Creation, Creation 23. And I don't follow their numbers or anything, I just put the records out. And, <coughs> and I think that's kind of healthy, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's, that's seldom seen. It's, uh, I'm sort of lucky, though, because I've got... I don't really try and milk it or anything, but... I've got like nearly fifty thousand people follow me on, on Instagram and stuff like that, so I could promote the little bands through my Instagram. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Probably the problem with bringing bands through now is it's not an obvious route anymore. No. Not really. Whereas when you came through in the very beginning, if you got the NME into it and you got you got, but it used to be back in the nineties, right? We'll say say it for what it is. It's nineteen ninety ninety one when Sean ended up getting platinum records with the Mondays. You, you, to break a new band around that time, you had to get front cover of the NME, Steve Lamack show record of the week, Friday night the tube. Yeah. Uh, there's probably something else I forgot, but you know that was three things you had to get. Now, what would you say to break a new band now? It's like nobody really kind of knows because no. it's a fucking kaleidoscope of changes the whole time. I find it hard to pinpoint scenes now, and I think it's because there's just so much in front of everyone and it's scattered everywhere that you don't. There's another thing that Don Let said. He said about he referenced TV and he said that everyone will watch something at the same time. 
guaranteed and you would talk about it the next day now everything's on demand everything's so kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. spread out there yeah, yeah. it's very hard I think a grime is one one of the few that I, that I feel there, there is a, there's a scene and you've got the live thing going on in the battle I find that fascinating and that's one of the closer things I find to punk well yeah Eddie can fucking write a song do you know what I mean maybe shit but you know you can do it I and that was that was the punk thing that was that was like let's just fucking do it. I wonder if it's a little bit too much perfection, Sean, in the sense that it's interesting what you said. Yeah, this is why I love fanzines, and they do come up quite a lot. Yeah, the yeah. guests that I talk to from different industries. Fanzines were great. It's a, because what fanzine is? It's imperfect. You're having a go, and you're, yeah. ma you're making something around the passion. And I used to do it with like Legion United scrapbooks, and but I had a blast with fanzines. They're just well, modern is. day fanzines. I've got no training whatsoever in doing this. Yeah, I mean, the audio's all over the and place. And loads of fanzines. Do you know what I mean? They are, that's what they are. But they have soul. That's, that's yeah, what's yeah. cool about them. Yeah. Like someone's really passionate. And if you want the BBC, you've got the BBC. So you can go and listen to something you know, that's, that's got the polish yeah. on it. Um, I just wonder if, if when kids are growing up and they haven't quite got that... Um, you know, they, they, they've shown all the finished article all the time, Instagram, Twitter, all this stuff. So you, there is a big void, and you do it, you think, I'm never going to get there. Whereas you're looking at a fanzine and you go, I can have a go at that. You know, there's, there, maybe there's a bit more inviting when there's less, when you're shown a yeah. little less of the finished thing. I don't know. Like yourself, Alan, finding out that actually, it was it when Andrew went back to Glasgow and you had, you had to do the press, you had to get the press because yeah, yeah, yeah. you only used to yeah. do it. Yeah. Therefore, you found out you could do it. So you it's know the that, funniest thing about that that little band I was in the beginning band, or it's the maddest thing. And it only it's, it, it, if you if you hang around long enough, if people because I'm doing this tour at the moment. People, you create great stories. The truth is, I'm old. I've been around for thirty five years. Of course, I've got great stories because I'm fucking. I've, I've been doing it for thirty five years. But uh, that little group, the worst song we ever put out was that song "Precious Feeling." Right, we did about eight songs. They're on the internet. They're on Spotify, I think. Right, laughing apple. But yeah, I'll show you but, put it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I was a. Because because the, the people that are doing the film to the music, some of it's a tiny wee bit haphazard. They they've they've got like the kid they've got a version of the Laughing Apple doing Precious Feeling, and and it's it's actually not that good a song. But but it's a bit like but who'd have thought? Fucking back about 39 years ago. It's going to come out next year, forty years ago. There's a version going to be in a fucking film. So you just yeah. don't know. <laughs> no, you don't know. Yeah, it's what he was, I was watching the documentary, the Upside Down one, um, as part of the research for this. I think it was Ed Ball that said, being lucky is a talent in itself. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I buy into that, because I always shoot people down but when you, they, but when you they know, say... But do you know what it is? It's, it's not as simple as that. It's like, just being lucky is not going to get you the biggest band in the world. No. Do you know what I mean? There's a few different aspects to it. It's like, you have to be lucky to beat King Tots, right? But you have to, more importantly, you have to fucking know. And if you don't, if you haven't had, I've been into music since 1970, and I found Oasis in 1993. That, that was 23 years. Mm. If you haven't done the 23 years research, being a fan, being obsessive about it, you're going to see them. Like most of the music bands, Oasis, that was somewhat the 21st gig. They they done twenty one twenty other shows that people in the music business were all at. Nobody signed them. Guess what? Because they hadn't done the fucking research and went, that'll work. Yeah. I didn't look at Oasis that night in nineteen ninety three and go, they're gonna sell sixty five million records. Oh, I looked at it and thought yeah. that might work. That was all it was. And not like it'll be a superstar band, I might get a gold record. And I just signed it. So you have to be lucky to get in the room. Yeah. It's me. But, 
But when you're in the room, you actually have to know what you're doing. Of course you do. And if you don't know what you're doing, yeah, you ain't going anywhere. Oh, anyway. can't you? Things are just fall. Is look. I think. Yeah. I think you have to. I would say you have to meet chance halfway. You have to be open to seeing it when it presents yeah. itself. Yeah. But you have to have the. You have to have the tools. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's just going to pass you by. But yeah. it's. Um, but also, again, like I mentioned about Tony Wilson, it's that. It's that appreciation and the love of the chaos, the art. And, and, and standing back and letting it just, Tony was just more letting it be. Tony was more an art kick than me. And, and if people will go, oh no, he wasn't, he gave him more mental. But, but the truth is, he was more an art kick than me. He was an intellectual. I was never an intellectual. I was just mm. a guy who liked records. And also, I was more business than Tony would ever be. You know, I, I was openly into the, the cash. Yeah. Tony, Tony wasn't, you know what I mean? Didn't well, care. Famously, the you know, yeah, yeah. didn't make money, did it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, but Tony probably was quite happy the way it all ended. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean that's cool. You know that's what I mean? Really but, cool. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, Sean. I mean, Sean. Too about. Scottish to to not care. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. that's the truth. It is. Well, I mean, Sean talked about it. He said how they, they were nowhere near ready to make any records when he threw them in the yeah. studio. But he just yeah. loved everything about them, the cagoules and yeah, the, yeah. the fact that they were little scallies. And, you yeah. know, he just liked that. Well, the first time I met the Mondays, Ben, was I was with Tony. It was 1987. It was, I'll tell you what it was. It was New Music Seminar, 1987. And they walked in to this posh hotel. Can't remember what one it was. And they just looked like fucking drug dealers. I mean, scally drug dealers, <laughs> and, and they were all, and they just all walked in in gills and flares. I was like, what the fuck? And they walked in, and they went, all right, Tony, you're oh, fucking, you know, right, fucking another fucking hundred dollars. And Tony, I can see him getting his money out and giving this fucking bunch of scallies. And 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 Tony goes, oh, this is Sean and Bez, and I'm like, all right, all right. And it was like, it was kind of like that. And that was the first time I ran into them. And then I got into ecstasy. And that was that man. But you yeah. know, and then I connected with Paul Ryder first, and then, and then I, and then I was mates with Sean. Bez at that point fucking frightened me. If I would be really honest about it, I've never actually told Bez that. <laughs> I was like, because he was so mental. I was like, because Bez, yeah, I all these fucking insane stories about Bez. I mean, I was nuts, but Bez was another fucking planet. You know what I mean? The Riders I got on good with Paul. On really well with the brother. Started to get to know Sean, but Bez was a bit fucking too. He was off the scale, man. You know what I mean? And I was even I was a bit like, "How you doing?" But kind of like, yeah. "Stay there." You know what I mean? You know, like, don't come too close. And then, and then, and then we just, you know, bit by bit, you get to know all these guys. And now we're in our fifties, and I think I probably got the job with the Mondays because I'm still alive. Because <laughs> I think other people yeah. that they ever wanted to manage them had. Passed on, or like fucking, mm. or uh, or like giving in. Well, I mean, characters like that need that freedom, don't they? It's, it's yeah. like Bobby Gillespie talked about it, about um, that you would just go, yeah, they dead an idea, and you go, yeah, do it, and and, and that's yeah, a, I, I, a I, rarer but, thing. Though. But I think what really happened with that was that once Oasis happened, we really had a lot of fucking money at our disposal, yeah. and, and we could think. indulge them properly. So they would go, can you buy us the Kowalski car? How much? Six grand or eight grand? I'll buy you. And then the super furries would go, can you buy us a tank? 
And I'd go, how much? And they'd go, 12 grand. And I'd buy them. Because we had too much money at that point. Yeah. How much was fucking glorious. But what a story. I mean, so was, was it was it delivering a single to the uh, to the Radio 1 in the tank? Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, they, Supposedly they took it to Radio 1 to get playlisted. And they, they, supposedly they did. I, I don't really remember that. But, <laughs> but I'm, I, it's Griff, so we'll, we'll have to give him one artistic license. One of my favourite stories was the Kevin Rowlands front cover. And Mental. you putting it up. Was he, he was in drag. I think Black Nick is in... Well, he, he would argue he wasn't in drag. We were talking up here, we were talking about how people's attitudes have just changed so much, right? And and he, 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 he Kevin Rowland's cover. That could be embraced now. Oh yeah. To Kevin in mm. in, 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 in women's panties, right? That now could be embraced. Yeah. But in nineteen ninety nine I was at Reading and people were throwing bottles at Kevin. Really? They were fucking throwing yeah. bottles at him. And you were young, you were only eleven, but they were, he came on stage and and they were just throwing bottles at him and that, that was like fucking and and you know they were not having it and that's been sort of written out of history that happened and that all happened now if Kevin came with that record as a fresh record now it might be embraced do you know what yeah. I mean? well it's interesting because didn't it sell really low at the start and it, and it steadily built to actually no, do a decent it, it, number no, no, it was these journalists who hated creation because we'd had Oasis right that wanted just to slag us off. They said it had sold 500 copies. And then it came out and sold about 20,000 copies. Oh, okay. Mm. And, and, and then I don't know if it's ever sold any more past that. I've never checked. But it came out, it didn't do, it was like, it was, it didn't do well. But it wasn't a flop. Yeah. It kind of was, it turned to about 20,000. So it was what it was. You know? But for you to see that and, and go, I'm going to put that up in accident. No, no, but I'll tell you why I've done it. Ben. It's really simple. Right. It's fantastic. I'd spent a quarter of a million making the record. And it was really difficult. And and, and the truth is, although nobody else will really know this, but I, I got taken off the record because I was too intense for Kevin Rowland. That's how fucking mental I was in the 90s, right? I was too much for Kevin. So he ended up getting given to one of the kids in the office to me. It ended up orchestra, blah, blah, blah. It was about a quarter of a million on the record, right? And, um, and then at the end, when he's sitting with me, and he goes, I've got, it's got the sleeve. And, and just as he went like that, as he's about to pull it out, I saw fucking stress as a woman, right? and he went, da -da! and I and, and I'd because I was at that one second on him, I was like, right, and then I looked at it, <laughs> and, and, and I knew this is important how you respond now, McGee, and you either say, I'm not putting it out like that, and what will happen is he will never release it because it's Kevin Rowland, he doesn't yeah. do halfway, or you just go with it. And, and 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 it'll be it'll be mad, but it'll probably be good fun. And I went, I'll go with it. Do you know what I mean? And that's what we did. <laughs> and, and and eventually, I just thought, well, let's take it to the the, the ultimate extreme. So then I got something like five thousand full full length posters of it and put it all over the the Westway. So it was Kevin. You, you would drive down the Westway, and there was like thirty Kevin Rollins in, in stockings and ladies' panties. <laughs> and, I, and he went up one morning of it, about all overnight on the Sunday night, and people were saying, people were phoning me, going, "I've just about crashed my fucking car. What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then a lot of people, because they don't understand Kevin Rowland, thought that I had told Kevin Rowland to do it. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I know I'm fucking loose, but I'm not that fucking loose. No way. He's Kevin. What was brilliant, I got it written here somewhere, but you, you said that the people at the label hated it. But you, they'd you hate it. But you described it as bonkers, brave, fuck you, creativity. And that's what I'm going to call this episode of the podcast. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 it was, there was a girl who was the, the Oasis marketing person. Oasis, Marcus Russell, their manager, made me, 
hire this girl. She's a nice woman and she was very good at her job. She she made it work for the Oasis called Emma Greengrass. But anyway, she was a little bit uh, what's the word for it? Conservative, I think is a better word for it, right? And you could say stiff, but we'll call it conservative. And she just was offended by the fucking slave. I'm sure and I think she runs Caroline now or something like that, right? And I'm sure now she won't be offended and that she was right behind it. But she was fucking offended. And, and, and half the office were utterly offended by Kevin Rowland dressed as a woman. But now, because it's cool to be like that, yeah. I'm sure none yeah. of them are offended. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But they, they were fucking offended. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They split the office in two. It's crazy, anything came back. Like you said, the times have changed. Yeah, he's been watching the R. Kelly thing and I've been watching it. And, and we were basically saying... Daniel remembered it in the nineties when he was a kid though he was a little boy. And that that was around that 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 uh, that tape of, of, of him pissing on fucking little girls. Right? People thought maybe not funny, but people knew about it. Do you know what I mean? I'd never seen it in the nineties, but I knew about it. Do you know what I mean? And now, and now, and now it's a big deal. Do you know what I mean? You know. Which, yeah, anyway, I mean, like R. Kelly is what you and me were talking about. He is a fucking paedophile. He is bang to rights, but the core of public opinion back in the day, I don't think anybody was that fucking fussed that he was doing shit like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. What do you think? I don't know enough about it to be to be yeah. honest. But 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 just from what I have gathered, it does seem like it's pretty conclusive. But yeah, um, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, like you said, things did seem to be less talked about back yeah. then. You know, things that have come out. But you know what? If you look back in rock and roll with these guys and the the big stars, Jerry Lee Lewis, he married his 13 year old cousin. Do you know about that? And then all these guys have like, you know, they've all like Jimmy Page, Bill Wyman. I mean, it's like, it's kind of fucking, it's always sort of been around, but it never really got really demonised that bad. But now, like, I mean, I suppose R. Kelly is just an extreme version of all these guys, you know. So the film, when's the film, Jim? I think it's to uh, Daniel's in it. Daniel plays oh, yeah. my drug dealer. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love that. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny when he's telling me his friends. He goes, "Oh, like, you know, I'm in my dad's film and he's a drug dealer." Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's a. Um, I think he's coming in April. Yeah. 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 Okay. Brilliant. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm into it. You know, what I mean, you know. How we do it? Is it, a, is it sort of a dramatized version? Is that, yeah. is that the idea? I tell, you, I tell you what, it has been. I've, I've realised because it's all, it's all slid away now. You know, a little bit. You know, into, you know, it's coming out and blah blah. I don't have to think too much about it. When it was going on during the summer, it was kind of fucking slightly freaking me a wee bit because what I'm best at is standing to the side and let Sean and Bobby and Liam and Noel do what they do, and I'm there and I still do my thing, but it's not so much about me. And then the films is about me, so it, do you know what I mean? This 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 summer I was like, oh, we went down to see uh, to see you and uh, play me, and he was walking about as me for seven hours. Did you come down that time with me? That was too much, man. So it was it was a bit like yeah, for me watching you and especially walk about as me in 1986 or something like that it was fucking, it fucking a lot bit daunting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so I mean where you, where you are now in terms of bands um, do you treat it any different to as you did back in the day in terms of uh, do you, I mean what do you look for in, in a band in today's world so has anything changed no, I mean I'm just I mean I've we're, we're kind of like, I mean I mainly do the label and uh, and then manage the Mondays you know I manage some other bands but it's, I mean, my focus is mainly on the Mondays um, <coughs> what I need to do is I need to get another band I think as well do you know what I mean 
to manage. Do you know what I mean? So that I'm not just directly focusing on one band. Really, I mean, I've, I mean, I've got other bands, but they're all Las Vegas are writing. Blue Tones are ultimately writing. Black Grape going to actually make another album. Cast are writing. And it's the Mondays is a pretty constant touring band. Do you know what I mean? You know, that's the one band that tours mm. all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything you're excited about in particular? Um, I kind of like doing it all. I mean, I love doing the, the one-man show thing. That's fucking great fun. Um, and I love... It would be great if the media paid attention to all the little bands that I'm starting up, Creation 23. Uh, and then, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the management thing's good fun. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's really busy to the end of the year, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where a Monday's tour, Blue Tones tour, uh, I'm doing a DJ tour with Bez. And then I've got one tour, so I've got like four tours running at once. You know, you know. Nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> exciting. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's a sort of cliche question in terms of advice for people starting up now, in terms of, you know, got a creative passion. I think, I think the hardest thing for, for, for the, in the music game is that it's like, it's so saturated. And, and how do you get, if you can break away from people and get people to concentrate on, on you, you can blow up. But the hardest thing is to break away from the, we're all embedded. All these little bands are embedded into the, you know, into the into the ground, and nobody's getting enough space to break through. When when you came through, you know, you could get a little bit of space, and yes. you know, and it could flower. And that's the biggest problem you've got with all the bands at the moment. Mm. You know I mean? There's a lot of noise, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a that's good last question, and anyway. it's, a, it's a bit of a love. I asked for a love and a hate. Uh, in, in creativity in what you do it's quite a very broad open question and uh, can be a serious well I love being the master of my own diary mm. and, and I can do what the fuck I want every day and go well I do all that that's what I'll do and there was times in the 90s that I used to have this PA she's a very nice woman called Clee and uh, she used to go 11 in, in, not 11 interviews 11 meetings tomorrow Al and then I'd start at 9 and I'd finish about 8 and this was this, this was every day, literally. And then a Sunday, I would be phoning <coughs> all, all the people that work for me all over the world. I had about 50 people in different territories and, and saying, oh, that's, you, you've got to make sure this, blah, blah, blah. And we're shoving on this next Oasis track, blah, blah, blah. And now it's a loose day. Do you know what I mean? So I like the looseness of my day, which is good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I still, today, I've got you, then I've got a meeting with a plugger, then I'm having food with somebody at three then I've got my radio show but it's still for me that's loose do you know what I mean yeah. me, me and Daniel were talking about it and he was like are you you're really busy I mean I'm busy kind of every day but it, I, I sort of make my own diary so it's not with somebody going you've got 11 meetings yeah and that, that's what I did wrong in the 90s if anything do you know what I mean I didn't enjoy the 90s as much as I fucking should have and I I'd still had a great time but I should have that's why I liked the noughties much better than the 90s because I got I regained control of my own life in two thousand mm. when I stopped creation. You know the first time. You know. Yeah. When I was doing that in my twenties, uh, you know, I, I was partying, but I was also grafting like fuck because creation yeah. came through that time. Thank you so much to Alan McGee and creation. It's creation, baby. His uh, his new label where he's he's taking on new talent as we speak through creation management. He's also working with the likes of Sean Riders, Black Grape, and Happy Mondays. Staying active to this day, enjoying himself. It's a famous story. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, go and listen. Sorry, go and read the book, Creation Stories. It's brilliant. 
um, really, really great memoir. And the film starring Ewan Bremner, directed by Nick Moran and written by Irving Welsh, is out now. You can go and see that on Sky Cinema. Uh, thank you so much for the feedback on previous shows with Ben Ryan and Jesse McGuire. Get that over now. Looking forward to your thoughts. They're always very welcome. I hope you enjoy this one at Ben Talon Pod if you want to share. Coming up next, we have the wonderful Tim Easley. Photographer, designer, illustrator, in no particular order, a creative force, doing loads of awesome work, publishing his own books, including The Moon and his book on Japanese vending machines. Tim's a real character, and he's got a unique story. He didn't study, he didn't get into the art world the traditional way, and he's going to share that story on the next episode. After that, I'm going to be taking a short break just for a few weeks, and then gathering another block of four wonderful episodes for you guys. So do me a big favour, please subscribe to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to these things, subscribe. Drop us a little review if you could, please. They're really, really valuable. And I know it's hard to find the time for these things, but it just takes a couple of minutes and it really does help to support this show. And of course, word of mouth. Just share it out there, whether it's your social media, tell a mate if you like an episode. It really does help me keep this thing going. Five years it's been going now. Can you believe that? Used to be a rest on the mix. Now the Creative Condition Podcast, supported by the AY.com, the Association of Illustrators, and the brilliant founding sponsor, been here since day one, Illustration X. Have a great week, guys. Thank you for your time.